The future of orthodontics is evolving and changing every day. But although the way to achieve practice growth has changed, there's never been a better time to be an orthodontist. Let's get into the minds of industry leaders, forward-thinking orthodontists, and technology insiders to learn how they see the future of the orthodontic specialty. Join your hosts, Dr. Leon Klempner and Amy Epstein, each month as they bring you insights, tips, and guest interviews focused on helping you capitalize on the opportunities for practice growth. And now, welcome to the golden age of orthodontics with the co-founders of People and Practice, Dr. Leon Klempner and Amy Epstein. Do you have a friend or even a child interested in becoming an orthodontist? You want to know what progressive ortho program directors look for in candidates? Welcome to the golden age of orthodontics. I'm Leon Klempner, retired board certified orthodontist, currently teaching part-time at Harvard and the CEO of People and Practice. And I'm Amy Epstein. I have an MBA in marketing and 20 years of marketing and public relations experience. We co-founded People in Practice about 10 years ago, and together with our team of 12 growth consultants, we work with orthodontists around the country and in Canada and in Australia to help them capitalize on all the opportunities for growth that are afforded to them by new technology in orthodontics and also the changes in the market that we're seeing. Today, we're pleased to have as our guest, Dr. Serjan Akialchin, who's head of orthodontics at Harvard School of Dental Medicine. He has a DDS PhD and is a graduate of the orthodontic program at the University of Texas Health Science Center at Houston. He was a faculty member at Tufts School of Dental Medicine in Boston, where he also served as the chair and graduate program director of orthodontics before joining Harvard. Dr. Akialchin is active in many leadership roles, serving as the NISO board of directors and representing the society in the House of Delegates at the AAO. He also advocates for the Northeast region on the AAO, AAO Council on Education. As a dental educator and orthodontist, he's published 50 peer-reviewed papers, co-edited a textbook, contributed to 12 other orthodontic books, and has served on the editorial boards of orthodontic and dental journals. In addition, he's been recognized with several awards in the field, including the 2019 Edward Angle Research Prize. Welcome, Sir John. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you very much. It's an honor to be on your podcast and thank you for the invitation. Absolutely. We're really happy to have you here today um, so that we can address our audience members that may be uh, looking into becoming an orthodontist, those that maybe haven't yet gone to dental school and see a, a long-term trajectory for themselves in the profession. Can you tell us a little bit about how orthodontic um, education has changed in the last 10 years or so? Sure. Let's start with a uh, brief background on the subject. So uh, formal specialist orthodontic training may last between two to four years in developed countries. However, in the United States, there's a requirement for orthodontic residency programs to include a minimum of 3,700 hours of instruction. And although there's a wide diversity of specialist training across the globe, many of these programs in orthodontics are designed to expose the graduates, not only to all aspects of orthodontic diagnosis and treatment modalities, but also have them acquire uh, knowledge in many topics such as craniofacial growth, biology, biomechanics, uh, material science, 
anatomy, temporomandibular disorders, and craniofacial anomalies. In addition, some new items such as upper airway management, um, they're, they're added to the curriculum. And that is not to say that, you know, we did not teach the subject 10 years ago, but today there's a particular emphasis on uh, graduates' competence in diagnosing upper airway discrepancies. Our country's history of orthodontic education has been uh, longer than 100 years. However, the last 20 years have probably seen much more drastic changes than before. Like other dental disciplines, our profession has had the most exciting changes with the digital dentistry trends. And while integrated medical and dental health curriculum are uh, still uh, the prerequisites for education and training, and establishing an excellent uh, education. Emerging technologies are helping us achieve our standards much more effortlessly today. And of course, fundamental craniofacial growth and biology, biomechanics and clinical training are uh, still necessary uh, to constitute the uh, foundation. However, the way we go about things is changing. For instance, traditionally we have relied on two-dimensional cephalometric images to treat our patients um, per some norms and parameters that are really difficult to standardize across different races. And, you know, we used to pour stone to obtain study casts. Today's students are working with the three-dimensional rendering of the craniofacial skeleton via Combium CT. They can also be merged with high-quality facial scans and dental scans. And amazingly, uh, the majority of the orthodontic programs have completely adapted to the use of technology and switched to uh, digital records. And besides the advances in imaging, we have improved tools for treatment planning and simulation of forecasted results. Today, students spend more time planning their cases in front of a computer screen, which may be a little different than before. And inevitably, the teachers are also getting very well worse with the technology and using technology in case seminars and some other teaching uh, training modules. Um, last but not least, materials are evolving rapidly, uh, 3D printing, and uh, nowadays we're talking about 4D printing in, in the training environment. And whether you use it for in-house appliances, metal printing via a lab, or ceramic brackets via subscription service, Additive manufacturing is a game changer in practice. And all these changes present the need to train our students to utilize technology and, of course, be very well worse with it upon graduation. Yeah. And, you know, the, we mentioned the last 10 years and, and there's progress in technology in the last 10 years. And there was also a global pandemic in the last 10 years, which really upended a lot of the ways that we uh, educate ourselves and provide education to others. So how had has the COVID pandemic affected the way some of that is delivered to students? Yeah, so while many of the components of the, um, you know, orthodontic education uh, during the pandemic stayed the same, uh, of course, it did impact us initially. And, you know, for a few months when the whole world came to a complete stop, and, you know, that's affected the, the clinical uh, training hours. So it was a hectic time for program directors, preparing more content and maybe case discussions and engaging the residents online 
was a real challenge because we had to somehow uh, switch those hours to online uh, teaching and using online platforms. But we all learned immensely from that experience and adapted to the change. And it has been fascinating to see even the older generations of educators embrace the technology and rolled up their sleeves to continue uh, training efforts. Towards the end of the pandemic, one of the most important things we learned as dentists, uh, not only just as orthodontists, is that we are very good at managing infectious disease compared to other professionals. So many hospitals and academic institutions implemented infection control and increased prevention uh, protocol measures to handle the situation, of course, and standardized uh, PPE wear, modified clinical scheduling, uh, surveillance, testing. These were all requirements that were implemented for all of us in patient care. And unfortunately, all of these sanctions uh, slowed us down, but a study conducted at Harvard School of Dental Medicine just recently showed that clinical activities undertaken by dentists did not increase the spread of COVID-19, as long as the dentists are paying attention to the requirements, the PPE and surveillance testing. Mm -hmm. And I hope to not ever go through another pandemic in my lifetime, but I can confidently say that we will be ready. Yes. Uh, first of all, Sir John, welcome. And um, I'm particularly um, happy to welcome a fellow Jumbo. For those don't not aware, a Jumbo is not a derogatory term, but uh, the Tufts mascot. So uh, we have our roots at, at Tufts, and uh, it's great to, to see you come over uh, to Harvard. Uh, and I've been, you know, teaching residents for, I'd say, 40 years in various uh, institutions uh you know over the last five years with harvard and seen a lot of changes and and having you come over has been a, a a wonderful experience but i know that you've been facing some challenges as do other program directors so could you tell us some of the issues that are uh, that educators are now facing in orthodontic education in particular Yes, absolutely. First of all, uh, thank you very much for the compliments and having me again on your podcast. So to correctly answer this question, we really have to look at the changes that are occurring in the private practice setting. The model of orthodontic practice has changed and continues to change significantly. And as a result, many of our new graduates uh, need to enter a practice model where they are not the solo operators anymore. The classic privately owned orthodontic office model is slowly shifting into a corporate DSO or OSO, whatever you call it, model. So the educator's primary challenge is that now they're training residents for a model they need to become more familiar with from an experience perspective. And perhaps uh, most of the current educators have trained in an environment with the expectations that they will be owning their practice or associating with a partner. Additionally, uh, most orthodontic programs are really good at teaching uh, orthodontics. However, they also have a huge responsibility to their students to prepare them for the business uh, aspect of it, business of orthodontics. Uh, practice and risk management is one of the, uh, the areas, one course that the residents always want to learn more about. Uh, this is a topic that many graduates always feel uh, overwhelmed upon graduation. And I've heard it from many of my uh, younger colleagues that they wish they had a more vigorous curriculum in practice management. 
therefore, in my program, I've increased the portion of the curriculum that covers these areas. And the good news is that the American Association of Orthodontists understands the need, and the AAO Council on Orthodontic Education is actively working on the topic, increasing the uh, web content, getting more online lectures to the residents, and AAO offers several programs in person for orthodontic programs and to the residents as well. And in my opinion, the, co the course content should appropriately be revised to include the changes that are happening in the, the, the practice setting as well, so that the residents can be a lot more accustomed to what they're going to encounter. And it's also essential to mention uh, that there's always a lack of educators, especially you know, need for qualified faculty in the educational setting. And this is funny because almost every generation of orthodontists has complained about this. I was reading an article uh, and I, I just noticed that in 1960s, uh, Graeber talked about it at the AAO that we need more full-time and part-time educators. So other than the prestige of committing to a lifetime of scholarship, and teaching, many young people with massive amounts of debts do not see themselves in an educational setting. As a result, we lose a lot of talented young people to private practice or other businesses. And like I said, this fact has stayed, uh, has stayed the same over the years. And uh, when you look at the federal funding opportunities, they are really limited. And if the research program of an individual is not directly linked to overall health, medical health, it is not easy to obtain and sustain a successful research program. But thankfully, again, American Association of Orthodontists and American Association of Orthodontists Foundation have some incentives uh, for young educators. I myself am very thankful for their continued uh, support in my career. I would not even have dreamed about a teaching career without uh, the support from the AAO and the AAOF. And since we mentioned the faculty shortage, another factor related to the faculty is the need for calibration. I need to mention that a little bit because I've been fortunate enough to teach in several different institutions and programs. However, one of the biggest challenges that I've always observed is how faculty uh, decide to teach in a clinical setting. So while we appreciate the good diversity and different mechanics, and that's really preferable, in an orthodontic clinical training uh, environment, there's a need to standardize certain items. For instance, um, a patient that is pre presenting with uh, facial features indicating an increase in vertical plane needs vertical management, period. So whether, there, whether uh, there's evidence to treat the case non-extraction or some people will prefer extraction mechanics and providing the necessary vertical control is not something that's negotiable in that patient. And individuals affinity to use class two elastics or maybe they like the sterilization with aligners, that just creates endless confusion for, for such patients in the educational setting. And as program directors, we are responsible for calibrating our faculty when we evaluate our students. But in my opinion, the same judgment should apply somehow transfer to the clinical teaching environment as well. So, I mean, that makes a whole lot of sense. Uh, obviously, as a student, you know, you, you're, you need some guidelines, you need some, some guardrails, some things that you could rely on, in, you know, during diagnosis and treatment planning. And, you know, most of the part-time faculty that, that teach in the clinic, um, 
uh, you mentioned the financial aspect of it. Most, most of us, and I speak for myself, are volunteers. We enjoy teaching and, and, and are, would be open to it. But it would seem like it would be very hard to keep full-time people because of the, the difference in the pay scale that you mentioned. Um, are there opportunities in most uh, uh, universities and most programs for full-timers to still practice, uh, have a private practice, you know, a half a day or a day a week in order to supplement the income? Yes, absolutely. Uh, most of the programs are designed to include a, a practice day. And, you know, some programs define the full time as, you know, four days a week, for instance. And some mm -hmm. programs will define it as five days a week, but they will give the opportunity to practice either in-house or extramurally. So there are those kind of opportunities that are present. And as I mentioned before, there are some incentive programs from the AAO, AAOF as well. Great, great. So um, moving down the line, as you, as you look in the, into the future, do you see or do you foresee um, other issues that, that uh, orthodontic education uh, would be faced? Anything that you know, would require some pre-planning as you look down the road? Yes. Um, first of all, some issues have always stayed the same. And you know, if the current issues are not appropriately addressed, they will continue to be problematic. And secondly, I think there's a huge need for educators to acclimate it with evolving technologies. As our uh, practice modalities change, we should probably change our curriculums accordingly. For example, imaging and diagnostics will see a lot of improvements uh, as they enable the clinician to make much more meaningful decisions when it comes to treatment planning. And this is from a root bone soft tissue biotype perspective as well. And the advantages of such action uh, include maybe utilization of personalized biomechanics and facilitating long-term stability and periodontal success. And, you know, all of these things are a little bit different than just, you know, using uh, two-dimensional cephalometric radiographs, which has been the common curriculum in orthodontic education. And a lot of colleagues think that the do-it-yourself orthodontics is a potential threat or issue for orthodontics in the future. I really want to put a positive spin on the subject because we have already seen and witnessed the outcome of such care in many instances. And that's a broad scale from significant bone loss around the incisors to tinnitus developing in an individual patient. And these patients have already caught the attention of periodontists, surgeons, and some other uh, specialists. And I've seen the public campaign of American Board of Orthodontics, and it sums it all up. Specialty care in orthodontics is, is here to stay. So you can program the most intelligent artificial intelligence and develop the smartest appliances uh, but our patients are not made out of zeros and ones. So for instance, they all respond differently to orthodontic force. This is because of our genetic makeup. And additionally, when you look at the software, no software can predetermine the patient's future growth. Even if a simple gene was the causative factor in that malocclusion, and we know that that's not the case, malocclusions occur because of the orchestrations of thousands of genes. And, you know, we are talking about thousands of genes interacting. So when you look at the biological basis of that, it's impossible to know exactly how much a person will grow. And with 
and that's without the orthodontic treatment. It, it is not possible to determine that even when you compare that individual to the identical twin. So this is all about the, the biology. So in other words, patients present with complex biological traits that will always require uh, specialized training to manage and troubleshoot the issues when they occur. And specialists will always be needed for specific purposes. Um, you know, maybe appliances will change, maybe the design of the appliances will significantly change the way we practice, but you will always need an orthodontist to place an expander or mm -hmm. insert mini screws in the case. And, you know, not everything can be done with do-it-yourself approach. Yeah, and we feel very similarly in terms of the positive spin on uh, some of this direct-to-consumer marketing. It's just raising awareness of the benefits that orthodontics can offer you, uh, mm. making it a little bit more accessible, or at least in the minds of the consumer. It's They start to think about talking to an orthodontist about the things that they perhaps would like to see uh, fixed that maybe they thought, you know, the chance of seeing an orthodontist is over now that they're an adult uh, yeah. or, you know, they already relapsed. And so, uh, mm -hmm. you know, they don't want to see an orthodontist where this uh, consumer awareness is um, raising the um, raising the issue and people are. Yeah. So there's a, a market opportunity there that some of that direct to consumer marketing has afforded orthodontists. So there is some positive spin on there uh, from a from our side, marketing side as well. Yeah, and, and if I can interject, interject just for a second, um, you know, without sounding too self-serving, this is what we do with people in practice. I mean, the public is not aware in many cases of, of the differences in the education of an orthodontist compared to a general practitioner. Forget about direct-to-consumer, they're, they're confused and they're, they're fed a lot of misinformation. So. You know, I know the AAO has programs to help with this, but I think orthodontists, we believe orthodontists on a local level need to educate the public about the specialty of orthodontics and, and why it's important to see someone that has the advanced training, as you said, in the growth and development and the understanding of the biology. Mm -hmm. AAO has some good, go ahead. Uh, absolutely, they have great resources and Simply put, um, if you need a, a, a surgeon to operate you, um, you wouldn't go to a surgeon that is not board certified. So that's as easy as it gets in terms of, you know, analogy. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So on our podcast, we typically invite a listener to submit a question if they have one. And so we have one for you and we'll play it now. I'm Dale Davis from Great Lakes Bay Orthodontics in Midland, Michigan. And my question is, what do you believe are some of the qualities that are going to be expected from this next generation to be successful as an orthodontist? That's a great question. So we must first define uh, successful orthodontic treatment to understand some of the qualities that will be required from the new generations. So what do we say? We always say the final occlusal results will complement the overall health, improve form and function in a maximal way, and provide the most optimum balance and stability. As I indicated before, uh, going through an integrated medical and dental health curriculum is still a, a prerequisite in, in this framework. So even though uh, we always say grades are not always 
a good indicative of how successful you're going to be as an orthodontist. I think being well-versed in dental and medical sciences is, is very important. However, besides possessing deep medical and dental science knowledge, the new generation of orthodontists should master analytical thinking. I think that's the key word. Uh, understanding the basis of orthodontic malocclusions is very similar to problem solving. So one should think about the problem as a whole with the end in mind. And when you look at the American Board of Orthodontics, even the, the new clinical exam is formatted, designed in such way that individuals with good analytical thinking skills are much more successful than, than the others. The new generation is already well-versed in technology or the use of technology, and I do not believe it'll be a shortcoming for them uh, in terms of the use and utilization. However, adaptation to change and moving efficiently at an ever-increasing pace will be will be much needed. And this is true for both the technolo technological advancement, changing technology, and trying to catch up with uh, every single improvement in materials and appliances, and also the practice environment, which is you know dynamic. And one thing that I do not uh, think that will be changing over time, uh, which is still a current thing, is the personality traits to connect with people. Um, I think for that specific reason, uh, one of the reasons that we refer to our work and profession as the art and science of orthodontics, because we all know that most successful orthodontists are the ones, are the best ones in, in communicating with people, uh, able to address their uh, patient-specific needs. So, um, you know, I've served on uh, a number of admissions committees for a variety of different uh, ortho programs, including the one at Harvard. And, you know, I was blown away by the applicants. Uh, it seems like everyone is like graduating either number one or number two and their GREs are like off the wall and they've done research yes. and, and then, you know, they, they're Olympic swimmers or they're ballroom I remember, or... <laughs> I remember when you were evaluating, when you were going through the last process, just <laughs> saying this is a bit of a humbling experience. The fact oh that my these God. people are just like such overachievers in every single aspect of their life. I mean, and they're just kids, you know, they're just kids and they've got so much <laughs> under their belt. And so, and I know there are a lot of orthos that, uh, you know, are interested in bringing their kids into their practice. I was one of them. Of course, my daughter, Amy, wanted to go to fail. business school, <laughs> business school, didn't want to be an orthodontist. <laughs> anyway, um, so uh, what advice would you have? Obviously, they have to have good grades, but what, what are some of the other things that you might look at that would, you know, help to, you know, get them into a program? So this is a question that comes up all the time. And hopefully it's not a question that, you know, is asked to me at the very end when an individual applicant is applying to the program and they're just asking me this question, what can I do to increase my chances to get in? To your program or to an, to an orthodontic program, uh, I, I really hope that you know uh, they pay attention to this from the very beginning, and you know they have some predetermined goals in terms of uh, which program or which uh, which specialty they want to go. Orthodontics is is 
very competitive. Yes, you know, everybody has great grades and everybody has, you know, good research involvement. And at Harvard, this is something we also, you know, pay special attention to that, you know, good research is, is required. Uh, but it is not just that. We look at the application as a whole. Uh, what are some of the extracurricular activities uh, these people are um, doing? What is listed in their CV? What kind of leadership experiences they have? What is it that sets them apart from their individual uh, peers um, in, in terms of getting into the program? Everything they have done uh, ever since they stepped foot into the dental school is going to count towards that application, not just grades or standardized tests, GRE. I mean, these are important things. These are some fundamental things that uh, an applicant sh should list in their CV. But on top of that, uh, everything that they do that will distinguish them from their peers is very important. And of course, this is just for shortlisting them. Then comes the interview. During the interview, there are some other traits that we are looking for. For example, is that person a good team player? Uh, is that individual going to function really well within the same team with the other residents? Is that a good person, a good fit for my program? We are always very interested in developing alumni because we really want to be proud of our alumni. We want to, you know, talk about their accomplishments and, and be very happy when they come back and visit. And, you know, their individual strengths are, are very important for us to identify early on because it's our job to tap on those individual strengths and you know uh, look into them as as future alumni we are not engineers so we wouldn't want the same substance in every single resident you would want diversity you would want different strengths and you should be able to provide them an environment and cultivate a good environment for them to be very successful in whatever path that they choose whether they want to be educators they want to be good researchers or they want to be excellent clinicians Mm-hmm. Well, so, you know, dovetailing from that question, because the mm -hmm. future orthodontists of the Harvard program um, in a lot of ways define how the program moves forward, uh, the quality mm -hmm. of the candidates and what they bring to the table, but also the vision of the director of the program also shapes how the program moves forward into the future. So as someone who is fairly new to the position, can you tell us a little bit about your vision for Harvard's orthodontic program moving forward? Absolutely. So I joined Harvard uh, last year in the beginning of March. Actually, today will be my first year anniversary. Is it? Okay, wonderful. <laughs> it, it is. It, uh, so I joined Harvard after a uh, leadership change. We had a new dean at HSDM, uh, Will Ginobili from uh, University of Michigan, who was a department chair in Perio, uh, became the dean at Harvard uh, about two years ago. And he came in with such vision that, you know, Harvard is, is a place where uh, you would get good quality students with different strengths and give them, as I explained before, the appropriate environment and uh, nourish their needs and help them accomplish whatever they want to accomplish. So 
the, the vision is not just to produce a group of uh, residents that are really good at orthodontic or clinical care. We should be doing that anyhow. This is our job. But if somebody is coming to Harvard with a vision of being an excellent researcher with uh, federal funding, we should probably you know, help that individual accomplish their goals. And again, we're not engineering them. Uh, it's not a, a fabrication process. This is more of a guiding, mentorship, coaching, advising, you know, the network, uh, just enabling connections for them so that they can explore some of the, the potential that they have. And maybe they're not even aware of that potential. So this is what I'd like to achieve here. Uh, identify strengths in individuals and, you know, help them grow in that direction. Sounds like a good environment to be in as a budding orthodontist. So listen, thank you so much for your time today. We really appreciate it. It's been a really nice conversation. And if our listeners would like to contact you, how would they best do that? Absolutely. So it's easy. Um, if you Google my name, uh, the Harvard webpage will show up probably one of the first uh, results. My email address is listed on the web page and they can always email me with any questions and follow up. Wonderful. All right. Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Sir John, for your time. We hope to have you back again and uh, happy anniversary. <laughs> thank you. This episode is powered by some of the technologies that are helping to drive innovation in orthodontics, ULAB systems and dental monitoring. You can subscribe or download other episodes of our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you enjoyed this podcast today, we'd hope that you would share it with a colleague. For more information about people in practice, you can sign up for our free marketing newsletter on our website at pplpractice.com. And the last thing I wanted to mention, and we teased it on our last episode, is that we're working hard on a sister podcast to the Golden Age of Orthodontics focused on orthodontic teams, offering the front desk to the back office stories and solutions to some of the behind the scenes challenges that they face every day. So stay tuned for that. Thank you for watching and or listening. Uh, if you'd like to contact me directly uh, with any questions, shoot me an email at leon at pplpractice.com. If you'd like to get on our email uh, marketing list, so uh, where we will publish uh, tips and marketing, go to pplpractice.com. And remember, for forward-thinking orthodontists, it's never been a better time to be an orthodontist. We are in the golden age, so take advantage of it. Till next time, bye for now. Thank you for tuning in to the Golden Age of Orthodontics. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or visit our website at thegoldenageoforthodontics.com for direct links to both the audio and video versions of this episode.